Great words they are indeed. So if that's a new hymn to you, you can look that one up when you go home and bear in mind those sentiments that we've just sung about. Now we're turning for our Bible reading tonight to the book of Acts, the book of Acts and chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, and you'll see that we've entitled this message tonight, If God Be For Us, Who Can Be Against Us? And we're going to read a passage that lends to that theme, passage that you'll know very well, Acts chapter 12, and we're going to read from the first verse uh, down through to verse uh, 16, 17. So Acts chapter 12, and we'll read from the first verse. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first And the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where, gathered, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and, and told how Peter stood before the gate, And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. And Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren, and he departed and went into another place.
place. And we learned a reading there at the end of verse 17. A very familiar passage, a passage that's known to all of us. But we pray that the Lord will open it up to our hearts once more tonight and have some lessons for us here to learn from his word. Let's bow in prayer briefly before we look at God's word. Our Father, we thank you for this open book. How we bless thee that we have this word of life in our own mother tongue. And we thank you that we can read it from it. And we thank you that you can teach us from it. We thank you that your spirit can take this word and apply it to each of our hearts. And so we pray tonight that you will open our hearts to receive it. Help us to go from the place changed in our attitudes, changed in our thoughts, changed in our hopes, maybe changed with regard to our fears. Uh, Help us to know that God is on our side. And when he's on our side, we have nothing to fear. Lord, we pray that you will uh, give us listening ears and understanding hearts tonight. I pray that you will cleanse me from all sin, that you will infill me with the Holy Spirit and enable me to speak those things which glorify thy Son. For we ask all of this in his name and for his sake and glory alone. Amen and amen. In our Bible class in Lisburn, I've been going through the life of Peter with those who attend each week. And we're, we're continuing into quite some number of weeks now. And we started with Peter in the Gospels, Peter the disciple in the Gospels. Uh, and of course, he didn't start as Peter. He started as Simon, as you know. In fact, the first time that the Lord met with Simon Peter, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. I will make you to become Peter. That's the sense of what he said when he saw him there in John chapter 1. And that Simon that we read of in the Gospels, as we move through now into the book of Acts, is a changed man. The man who was fearful, the man who said things that he ought not to have said, the man who was rash in his actions and his thoughts and his words, suddenly seems more controlled Uh, more able. uh, And the man who was the disciple for those three and a half years now has become a great preacher of God's word in the book of Acts. What makes the difference? What makes the difference in any of our lives? Well, it's the Spirit's indwelling. It's the Spirit's infilling. You see, Simon, with all his mistakes, has now progressed on to being Simon, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he has become Peter, that great preacher of the word. His faults are behind him. He's living in the fast lane now. It's not the safe lane. We've seen that in our reading. And if you read on through the book of Acts up to this point, you'll see that it's not the first time he's been in prison either. No, it's not the safe lane, but it is the fast lane. And he cares little for his life, for his own safety or his own will. He wants purely to glorify his Father in heaven. Now, there's things that these men do in the book of Acts that they haven't done heretofore. Yes, they heal the lame man. They cause him to jump up and leap for joy there at the temple gate. That's one story. They preach and thousands come to this new sect of believers in Jerusalem. But there's another thing that they do in the book of Acts that we don't really see them do in the Gospels, and that's pray. Uh, Have you taken note of this? When we read of the disciples in the Gospels, 
very rarely, if at all, do we see them pray. Certainly not pray in the way that we think of in prayer, that we see them pray and we get into the book of Acts. Can I prove that to you by just a couple of examples? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And again, these are all familiar stories. I'm just trying to draw together a few threads that will help us to understand this thought that the disciples weren't much given to prayer before we get into the book of Acts and before they're filled by the Spirit. Uh, You know the story. Uh, We'll read from uh, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. And there we read, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Now, if the disciples don't pray, we read much of our Savior praying in the Gospels. The book of Mark in particular, we read a lot about our Savior getting out there in the early morning, going up into the mountains and speaking, talking with his heavenly Father. He was setting the example, but they didn't know to follow. Let's read on. Uh, but the ship was, uh, we'd have stopped apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Jesus comes to their aid. He comes unsolicited. They didn't cry out, Father, help us. Jesus, come and help us here in our need. We're going to perish. That was the thought. They thought they would perish. But Jesus comes to them and saves them in their great need. But they didn't think to pray. And another example, of course, the one that you'll know very well, at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 40. Again, you know the story. Christ is in his great hour of need here in Gethsemane. He's feeling the weight of what lies before him the following day, the crucifixion. And in Matthew 26 and verse 40, we read, And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now these were the inner three of Peter's, of Christ's disciples, Peter, James, and John, his chosen three, the ones who surely would pray with him when he asked them, asked them to, and yet they couldn't pray. They hadn't the ability to pray. They weren't able to pray. They were weary, and they slept. And you see, what a privilege it is for us to have prayer. When we move into the book of Acts, we see prayer as a common theme to these new found Christians, as they are called. Let me just show you some verses of the book of Acts, uh, which, which will prove this to us. So Acts chapter 1, first of all, we'll just take a few of these verses as we come upon them through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. And there we read, uh, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Prayers at the start of the list. They continue and they're continuing in prayer. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 41, 42. 
Similar words, then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Chapter 4, verse 24, and I spoke on this chapter once before when I came uh, amongst you. Chapter 4, verse 20, and this is a great prayer. Uh, And when they heard that, this was uh, Peter and and John coming away from being told to never speak in the name of Christ again. Never speak in this man's name again. And they go and meet with their brethren and they speak and say in verse 24, uh, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now I'm not going to read the prayer, but if you're not familiar with the prayer, read it. It's a wonderful prayer. And it's answered immediately by the Lord God himself. So these men who knew little of prayer in the Gospels are now men who are at ease with prayer and are found often in prayer. And prayer is a mark of being in a right relationship with God. Let's remember Peter's background. Peter was a Jew. Uh, Peter was brought up in that system where they didn't approach unto God directly. No, no, only the high priest could do that once a year with blood, come into the holiest of all and speak to the heavenly Father on behalf of the people. The people were fearful. They were afraid of God, afraid of approaching unto him, afraid of his wrath because of their sin. But now all of that has changed. The veil has been rent. Christ has died upon Calvary. The blood has been shed The way of access has been opened up for these disciples, Jews, many of them, to approach unto their heavenly Father. And that's a privilege that you and I enjoy also. Is it a feature of your life? Is it as much of a feature of your life as it ought to be? Do we respond to this great privilege by taking the opportunity often And always to pray when we're in great need. I trust that we do and that we learn to do so. Now what about the passage that we've read together tonight? Where does this fit in? Well, uh, Peter here is in trouble. He's in extreme trouble in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Peter's friend James is dead. One of those three that we spoke about. Uh, and death is now staring Peter in the face. He's kept by four uh, squads of soldiers, 16 in total, 16 soldiers to keep him, and he's chained between two soldiers there in the prison. Hopeless. Surely it's a hopeless case. If Herod had killed James, surely he's now going to kill Peter, and of course that was his intention. We know that from what we've read. Maybe this is to be the end of Peter's life. Now, you and I know that it wasn't, but Peter didn't know that there in the prison. No, in fact, it had been predicted. Peter had been told by the Lord Jesus what manner of death he would die. At the end of John's gospel, John chapter 21 uh, and verse 18 and 19 The Lord Jesus Christ predicts or foretells Peter's death. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, 
Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Complicated expression, but the significance of it is given in the next verse. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken thus, he said unto him, follow me. This is an idiom or a saying or, or a form of words that was to suggest to Peter, Peter, you're going to die as a martyr for me. You're going to be led forth and you're going to be taken to your death by those who will gird you about, Peter. That's what's ahead of you. I wonder if that's what Peter thought now as he's been thrown into the prison in Acts chapter 12. Peter didn't know. We know, of course, but he didn't know. Uh, and we too, like Peter, must face death, mustn't we? We must suffer and die. Uh, it cannot be avoided. Death, that last great enemy, will surely come, except the Lord return before that happens. Now, we will be delivered from pain and suffering and death on that great day, that great day when Christ returns, and all suffering and pain and death and illness and sickness will be gone and we'll be changed as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, but not until then. Christians suffer in this life. We know that. Are we surprised at that? Well, we shouldn't be, for it's predicted in God's word. Uh, Mark 10, 29, 30, maybe we'll just turn to it. Mark 10, 29 and 30, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking his disciples, those who would follow him, to you know, don't worry about what you're going to give up in this life because I will give you fourfold in response. But look what he adds at the end of the verse. So Mark 10, 29 and 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Yes, we receive from our bountiful heavenly Father, but it comes with persecutions. Let's not be surprised if we're persecuted in this evil world. Back in the psalm, Psalm 40. Uh, psalm 40, maybe I'll just get the verse and read it properly to you. Psalm number 40. Many of you will know the verse. Sorry, no, 30, 34. That's what's muddling me. 34, Psalm 34, <clears throat> verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. It's not many are the afflictions of the unrighteous. It's many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth them out of, out of them all. And that's the, the, the story that we're going to see tonight, that God is able uh, to deliver us from all of those things that, that trouble us. So, Christian, take heart. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. Or who can separate us from the love of God? Romans 8, 37 and 39. So let's look at this balance. Who's for Peter and who's against him? In Acts chapter 12. Well, let's look first of all at who's against him. Who's against Peter here in this chapter that we've read? Well, the first one we see uh, in Acts 12 is Herod. And this is Herod Agrippa. What a wicked man he was. Uh, 
He's the grandson of Herod the Great, a wretched man, an Edomite. He tried to placate the Jews. He offered sacrifices in the temple, tried to keep on side with the Jews. He didn't offer the right sacrifices in the temple. And we're told that he stopped the Roman emperor, Gaius, from erecting a statue of himself in the temple. So he tried to keep in with these Jews. Let's not trouble them too much. I might need them, he thought. And to please the Jews, of course, he had James killed. We read that in our reading. And he saw that it pleased them greatly. So he thought, well, let's move on. Let's move down the line. James, who else is in these inner three? Oh, Peter, we'll get Peter. And after all, he's the leader of the gang, is he not? He's the one that the Lord Jesus Christ mentions first. Uh, He's the one that was called. He's the one that has been given the keys to the kingdom. Uh, Let's have Peter. Let's put him to death. And he prepares to kill Peter just after Easter. Now, he's against uh, Peter, but the Jews are also against Peter. Verse 11 tells us that. Verse 11, we read, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, they wanted him dead also, because he was causing trouble in Jerusalem. So against Peter so far, we've got Herod. And if you want to know what happened to him, read down through the end of chapter 12, and you'll see it wasn't a wasn't a very nice death. What a wicked man he was. The Jews are against Peter, but I'm going to suggest to you that his own mind is against Peter. There's mental torment for Peter here in the prison cell. What do I mean? Well, James is dead. James was his companion in fishing. He was one of the inner three. He was one that was there right from the start along with his brother, John uh, with Peter and and those inner three had had many blessed experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were called up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, They were in Gethsemane as we see, though they fell asleep. Uh, He was grieving, was he not? The loss of his dear friend James here in the prison. So grief was there in his mind. But there must have been fear and dread also in his mind there in the prison. Was he going to fare any better than James? Humanly speaking, no. It was a lost cause. And I'm going to suggest to you also that mentally there was great guilt in Peter's heart there in the prison. Did we take note of the timing? It's Easter. What happened one Easter before? One Easter before he denied his Lord just before Easter with oaths and cursings, and he let him down. Uh, And surely that grief was still there in his heart and his breast when he thought, if this is the end of my life and I'm now to be called home, what have I done for my master? After all, I denied him when he was in his hour of need. And all of this must have tormented his mind. And of course, behind all of these things which were against Peter, there's Satan himself. Now let's think about Satan and what he was trying to do here to Peter. Satan had tried his hardest to repose this new movement, this young Christian church. 
Didn't we read about Peter that he had been sifted? Isn't that what Christ said? Peter, Satan has desired to sift thee like wheat, but I've prayed for thee. And he was sifted, and he was tried, and he failed, and he denied Christ at the last, uh, and denied his master, and he went away in shame with many tears. But Christ prayed for Peter. Christ forgave Peter and lifted him up and gave him this ministry and gave him the leadership amongst the disciples in the New Testament church. So Satan had tried to destroy Peter, but let's not forget he had tried to destroy the Savior also after his birth, all those children that were slaughtered and put to death. The many times when the people rushed upon Christ and would have stoned him except he escaped their mobbing cries. The Jews had welcomed Christ on Palm Sunday a week before his death and hailed him as king of the Jews and hailed him as the one coming into Jerusalem. But one week later, they had cried for his crucifixion. Having arrayed all of these things and all of these people and all of these events against the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan saw him die on a cross. How pleased he must have been. He must have thought he had won the battle, but God raised him from the dead. How wonderful. Uh, The story doesn't end with Christ in the grave or in the tomb. No, our Savior was raised from the dead by his heavenly Father, and Satan's plan was defeated. Did he give up? No, he didn't give up. Satan never gives up. Don't ever believe that he'll give up. He keeps on trying, so he opposes this New Testament church. He has them in prison. He has them before the authorities. He has them tried for various crimes that they haven't committed. He has them beaten. Oh, these men were persecuted for Christ's sake. And if the enemy can't get at us from without, he'd try to get us from within. Haven't we noted that before? Acts 5 Ananias and Sapphira, they thought, we want a wee bit of this action. These disciples seem to be doing wonderful things and getting great glory and great adulation. Maybe if we sell up our land and give a little bit of the money to this fledgling group, then we'll be lauded as great people in the Christian church. And so they tried. And you know what? They convinced everybody, except Peter. He was the one who was given spiritual discernment to see that they weren't true. They weren't real. They weren't real Christians. Why have you allowed Satan into your heart, Peter said to Ananias. And we knew the outcome, he died, and his wife also, because they lied against the Holy Spirit. How important it is that we confess our sin, that we keep short accounts with God's Holy Spirit, and that we are infilled by him and unable to do those things which please the Father. So these are all arrayed against Peter in Acts chapter 12. Herod, the Jews, Peter's own thoughts and grief and mind and guilt, and Satan himself. Let's not be overwhelmed by what's against us. Let's remember what's for us. Who's for Peter? If that's who's against him, who's for him? It seemed bleak for Peter here in the passage. And it reminds me of a passage that we read way back in 2 Kings 
2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, the story is that the king of Syria is coming to attack the king of Israel, and he wants to take the people. Uh, but his plans are foiled twice over, and he gets his advisors and said, who's telling my secrets? Who's giving away the secrets about what way I was going to take this attack? Uh, and of course, no one had. And they said, well, it's got to be the prophet. It's got to be the prophet who's foretelling what it is that you're going to do. And so the king of Syria sends this posse, this group, this army to surround Dothan, where the prophet is. Uh, and in Dothan, uh, the prophet, uh, along with his servant, look out and they see masses arrayed against them. And uh, the God's servant says in verse 16, I think it is, let me get the verse once more. Second Kings 6, verse 16. Uh, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes, that's the servant, that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see, sometimes when we look out with horizontal views, we don't see the great army of helpers that we have above. Is that how we live our lives sometimes? We're so oppressed by our enemies, which seem multiple here on this earth, that we don't see that we have a great heavenly father who has at his disposal all power and all ability to save us in our time of need. Only those who have this confidence can lie down and sleep in the midst of such terror. Peter did. He lay down and slept. Would you or I lay down and sleep? Soldiers either side with chains, another 14 of them, making sure that we're not going to get out, to be taken out the next day and put to death. Would you sleep? Would I sleep? Well, Peter Peter is so abandoned to the will of God, his heavenly Father, he could sleep. And he could sleep like a baby, if I put it like that. Did we not read, and I'm being respectful here to God's word, that the angel come and has to poke him to waken him up? He's well asleep, well asleep, content in the peace which God gives in the midst of the storm. I've seen that in my work many times over. I have the privilege, the responsibility, the task of meeting with many people who finish out their last days, maybe at home or in a nursing home or in hospital. And I say it is a privilege because it's a, a very special moment for families to be with their loved ones, and often I might be called as well to that time. But what I can tell you, and what you will know, is that the death of a Christian is very different to the death of a non-Christian. Can't say that 100%, but in the majority of cases, those who die in Christ die in peace. And it makes a difference on their deathbed. Those who die outside of Christ often struggle. Struggle because they're facing an uncertain future. Uh, but those who are in Christ have no fear of the future. They know what lies ahead. So Peter had 
uh, here for him a number of things. Number one, he had a praying church. What a privilege that is. Did you notice that? Verse 5, Acts 12, verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. Uh, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Spirit-filled people can't do without fellowship. This idea that you can be a Christian and live on your own is a nonsense. You need the support, the help, the, the enablement, the encouragement of other believers in your life. So let's not neglect the meeting together of ourselves as we should do. And here we have a praying church woven into God's plan for our future, for Peter's future here, is a praying church and woven into God's plan for our future, for this church's future, uh, is the prayers of his people here in this church. Now, God's not limited. He could save without our prayers, but he has chosen to save and to answer our prayers. What a wonderful privilege that is. And what a great responsibility that is that we ought to pray for those in our fellowship, for those amongst us who don't know Christ as yet, we're responsible to them because God has woven it into his great plan of salvation that we would pray for them. So let's not neglect this purpose in our lives. So there's a praying church there with Peter for him. That's one. Who else is for Peter here in this passage? Well, we've got a ministering angel a messenger from God. Isn't that what an angel is? A messenger from God. Now, many in our lives are human. We don't see angels come down with wings and uh, those pictures that we maybe have on our Christmas cards and think of those angels. But how many angels do we have in our lives? Messengers who are sent by God, human messengers who come and help us in our time of need, our pastors, our ministers, those who come alongside us and share with us a verse that they have gotten that day, uh, maybe come alongside us and just put that hand on our elbow and say, I'm, I'm praying for you. Uh, I know you're going through a hard time, but I've prayed for you today. Are these not ministering angels, messengers in our lives? God can command the heavenly host to attend to us in our need. And he sent one just now to Peter. And he awakens him, pokes him in the side and tells him, Peter, get up, strap on your sandals, Peter, put on your cloak. And he leads him out past the guards, the first guard and the second guard. And then the gates open by themselves before him, those great iron gates, and he's out into freedom. And he can't believe it. He just can't believe it. This has been such a turnaround for events. And what does he do? Well, I like what he does. He thinks, where are the people praying? And it's after midnight, we read here. And where does he go? He goes to pray with those who are at prayer. He goes to John Mark's mother's house, and he joins with others who are in prayer. And they don't believe it either, so much so that they turn him away from the door. Uh, but they're praying nonetheless, and praying for the very man that's standing at their door. Uh, we might challenge their faith and say, well, what sort of faith did they have in praying for Peter when they didn't believe that God would release him? But would we be any different? I don't think we would. 
It's a challenge to us in our prayers. Do we have faith to believe that God can move mountains, that God can do anything that's necessary for our good? I trust that we do. So for Peter, we have a praying church. For Peter, we have a ministry angel. Uh, But behind it all, we have a sovereign God. Isn't that wonderful? He has the keys to every prison gate. He can cause deep sleep to fall on all of our enemies. He can release us from all of our shackles. He can send the angels from heaven to attend to us in our need. He can set his people a praying for us. What a wonderful God we have. If God's for us, who can be against us? Peter was able to sleep that night like a baby, as we've said. First, in the knowledge that his Lord knows best. Your will, he was praying, in effect, not mine. Are we abandoned to his will? Are we secure in his will, fearing neither life nor death? For nothing can separate us from the love of God. So in our time of prayer tonight, let's have faith. Let's believe in the God who is. Let's believe that he is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And let's believe that he can answer our prayers. We move into a new year. Now, uh, maybe this is your first prayer meeting. I don't know if you met last week or not. Our ministers are moving into a new year. They've met together for prayer also. Oh, that the Lord would come down and bless us this year personally, that I would be blessed this year. That's my prayer for our families, that my family would be blessed this year. And we all have needs within our families. And I know you're often burdened, as I am, about our families. And we pray that the Lord in his mercy will speak into the lives of our families this year. What about your church family? There are people who come out to that building each Lord's Day morning and evening who don't know the Savior as yet. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for them often? Do you seek to encourage them to come? Do you welcome them, thank them for coming? Do you pray that God will change their hearts as he changed your heart? For only he can do that work. But we must pray and ask him to come and do that great work. Pray that God will bless these few thoughts to our hearts tonight. Uh, We'll get to a time of prayer. We'll sing that hymn which fits in with our theme at the end, but we'll pray first. Uh, Now, a good brother at the door told me about somebody who's sick, and I've forgotten the name already. Mr. Cairns, was that it? Yes, Mr. Cairns. I don't know this good man, but he's well known to you. One of your founding members, I'm told. So Mr. Cairns is sick, so obviously he needs prayer, and I know you are a congregation who pray for each other, so that's one topic of prayer. Uh, We've also got our ministers as they meet together. Uh, They enjoy the fellowship of this week, I know, uh, but especially they enjoy the ministry of God's Word and and the encouragement one from each other. Uh, There's much to discourage them. There must be much to discourage them in this world in these days. Uh, and we pray that this might be a week when they'll be encouraged, when they'll get fire back in their bellies, and they'll come back out into our midst, and that we'll be uh, burnt by that fire also, and that we'll go forth as those who want to serve our God with a pure heart. 
So we'll come to our time of prayer, just one after the other, and then we'll close up in about half an hour's time or so. Let's pray.